If you turn with me to Samuel, 1 Samuel. Chapter 10. happens is um, that things are missed in scripture uh, and I just wanted to uh, talk about one of them in Samuel you in Samuel remember that Saul was anointed king you'll find that then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head that Samuel and kissed him and um, kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Uh, when Saul very often is criticized, was anointed king, so often you get criticism of Saul and um, people say, well, he was um, a representative of the flesh, which he most certainly was, but not the flesh um, of anyone but the children of Israel they wanted a king they didn't want God to rule over them and when he was anointed king what he did instead of taking advantage of it um, verse 25 and Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom uh, Oh, verse 24 will take and Samuel said to all the people see ye him whom the Lord hath chosen that there is none like him among all the people and all the people shouted and said God save the king and then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord and Samuel sent all the people away every man to his house and Saul also went home to Gibeah and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Baal said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and bought him no presents, but he held his peace. And then Nahash the Amorite came up and encamped. And he comes and he encamps against um, Jabesh and, and you'll find in verse 2 and Nahash the Amorite answered when they try to make a treaty with him on this condition will I make a covenant with you that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel and the elders of Jabesh said unto him give us seven days respite that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel, and then, if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Now, if you ever wonder why, what was the significance of the right eyes? Well, they were opposite side to the left eyes, weren't they? But what was the significance? I'll tell you. No. 
Okay. Well, actually, in those days they had shields. And if you fought and your left hand was there fighting, your left side is obscured. Take the right eye out, you can't use your sword to defend yourself. So what they were doing was taking away the defenses. So if they'd actually gone into slavery, they'd, they'd have still been able to be servants and serve, but the one thing they couldn't have done is defend themselves and fight. So he said, I'll take the right eye out. You understand that? If you get a shield, you can't fight with a sword. Not any longer. Because your vision's obscured. The only way you can do it is by exposing yourself and getting killed. Okay? Useless piece of information. Well, just factual. Um, so what really the enemy, the Amorite, was wanting to do was to take away their defense. So there's no way they could have ever have got freedom again. And they send out throughout the land. And the question is, is there any man to save us? Now, remember this, that Saul was already anointed king. The kingdom was established. But Saul, instead of taking his position and trying to make something of himself, he went home and he looked after the sheep and the herds. That's what he did. He didn't, um, you remember when they sought for him uh, and God said, um, they said, is there not another man? Uh, and they couldn't find Saul because he was hiding amongst the baggage. Saul hid away. You remember the story? No, you don't. We'll read it when you get home. That's what he did. He wasn't a man who was trying to push himself into a position. And that's why I say, any man who wants ministry better watch out if he's hankering after ministry. God deliver us from people who want to preach or people who want to be ministers because they're not the called ones. The called ones are always running from it. Um, and it's total deception. God always takes the reluctant people. As I pointed out, Moses was so reluctant, he said, look, and when God finally got hold of him, he said, look, I can't go, I can't even speak. So Aaron went along to be his mouthpiece. Um, and wherever you get a man who's really called of God, he's not seeking ministry, he's seeking to escape it. Um, Jonah didn't do too good a job of that. Uh, and he ended up on a sea trip that wasn't the most digestible. And all through the scriptures, you find that God, when he takes hold of a man's life, it's not that the man is seeking something. It's God who intervenes sovereignly in the life. And, and here's Saul. He'd hidden amongst the baggage. He got found out. So now he's anointed king. He stands head and shoulders above everyone else. He's not pushing his way. And after he's anointed king, he goes home to look after the sheep. Now this is an aspect of his character that no one ever talks about. What they see is the other side of it. And they forget. And if you wonder why it is that David wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed, it's because he knew the way Saul was. And, and Saul did many good things. Here's one good thing he did. And God looks at the good things a man accomplishes, uh, whereas man looks at the bad things. 
If you've got bad news, everyone wants to know. If you've got good news, no one wants to know. Is that right? Bad news will travel a hundred miles an hour. Good news about a yard a year. Um, that's the way it is. Isn't that right? Uh, and Saul, you see, uh, is always remembered. And people forget the good he did. So here's Saul. He's gone back. Anointed king. He doesn't grab at the position. He doesn't say, well, let me have a palace. Let me, you know, now I'm king. I'm going to rule. Uh, he takes a totally different attitude. And um, the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days, okay? Uh, then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. Saul was getting on just with being a herdsman, but he was anointed king. And Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And when, they were, when, when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, and so on, I don't want to go further. Notice, Saul challenges them. The Spirit of God came upon him. And he sent out a challenge. And um, verse 11, And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch, and slew the Amorites, until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. How about that? Every single one of the Amorites was scattered. He was on his own. All right? This is Saul. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. There were people that had murmured and said, Who is this Saul that he should be the king? Uh, let's, and now they're saying, Let's kill those men. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for, the day, for today the Lord has brought salvation in Israel. Saul gave the glory to whom it belonged. He said, God bought this victory. Now, how many of you are familiar with the story? You tend to, you tend to hear of Saul and David, uh, and you tend to hear, but actually, Saul in his beginnings was a humble man. 
when they said, look, the people that didn't side with you, let's kill them, he said, no, you don't. This is God's doing. The victory with God is God's doing. What it did, it's, it established him as king, but he didn't try and force a situation upon the people and take hold of his kingship. What he did, he realized that he waited for his gift to function, and when opportunity came, he took hold of it, and the gift made way for him. He divided the people into companies, and he never tried to be what God didn't establish. And when God established it, he gave glory to God. And that is such an important principle in life. So often you find that people are always pushing to be something. But it's God alone who opens up the way. And there came the time when the children uh, of Jabeth, um, there they were in the city, and, and they, they needed help. And that was the opportunity for Saul to come in off the fields and do something. Now he was a true leader. He summoned all the people together and he got on with it. And it's in a moment of crisis you find out who's going to lead and who can't. It's in a moment of crisis you find out who's who. And Saul, when he was met with the crisis, he, he actually came up trumps. And the attitude at the end wasn't, now I've had a great victory, let me kill everyone who's my enemy. It wasn't at all like that. In fact, he was totally different. And it goes on, you'll find in... Um, um, it establishes him. And all the people... Um, Oh, let me go back. Um, then, verse 14, Then said Samuel to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal. And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And you'll find over in chapter 12, verse 13, um, Samuel um, says, Now therefore behold the king whom you have cho chosen, and whom you have desired, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you f will fear the Lord, and serve him, and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then shall both you and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. And then there's a great thunderstorm comes uh, on the, the fields. The thing that's so important to understand is the character of Saul. He wasn't a bad character. He might not have been the smartest guy, as you'll find out later. But there was one thing about him. He was a fighter. And he always gave honor to God. And his whole disposition was toward God. 
you'll find the same thing in Nehemiah when Nehemiah was uh, the cupbearer in the king's palace and he heard how the children of Israel were affected. He sent, um, they sent him information of, of what was happening in Jerusalem, how the, the gates had been burnt, the wall had been broken down, and the people were defenseless. And when God's people are defenseless, he always raises up a leader who can conquer. Because God wants us to have defenses. You know, the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him. God never intends to leave us exposed. God never intends to let us uh, be thrust down. What, what happens so often amongst Christians is that they don't understand we're here to cover one another. We're here to support one another. We're here to be. Uh, I talked about, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. And it is so important to understand the responsibility each one has. It's a thought, isn't it? Hello? I'm just throwing out thoughts. Um, because it's just one of those times when I've had a few thoughts. Look at Saul's life. You'll be surprised. So every, everyone kind of impugns his character. It's amazing how Christians can judge mighty quick. But isn't that what the world do about Christians? If one Christian falls, they say, look at those Christians. It's not the one who's fallen, it's everyone, isn't it? We all get the flack, don't we? You remember when the children of Israel, uh, I've talked to you about the Jethro principle not being biblical. Okay, how many people remember that? The Jethro principle is not a biblical principle, a priest of the Midianites. Uh, it came from hell, it's always been in hell, and 90% of Christendom has adopted it uh, because they don't read their Bibles. Uh, here's a nice thought. Turn with me to Numbers 10. Remember, uh, Moses, uh, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make the two trumpets of silver. And the, what was the silver for? It was so that they um, could sound the alarm and get the people to move camp. Do you all remember the story to move on? And um, verse 11 And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month. In the second year, the cloud was taken up off the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel took their journey out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. 
and they took their journey. Um, verse, chapter 11, um, verse 1, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and the garlic, see? They all have bad breath. But now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed and the color thereof as the color of um, bellium. And I have no idea what color that is. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was of the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them? That thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth a sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers. Whence should I... I have flesh to give unto all this people, for they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I, I think he's in self-pity here. Yeah? If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. How about that? This is a man who's had to put up with the groanings of the people. But just a minute, why is he complaining that he's got to bear them on his own? What about the elders? What about all the people? Pointed, captains of tens, captains of hundreds, captains of thousands. Where are they? What's happened? Huh? No. They never really lived by Jethro's principle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, and thou shalt not 
thou shalt bear it, not thyself alone. So God's saying, hey, just a minute. When it comes to spiritual things, there's 70 people. You're not going to bear them alone. I'm going to put the spirit that's on you upon them. Is that right? Now God's saying he is bearing it alone, isn't he? Well, is he or isn't he? And was God right or wrong? He always is right, isn't he? So you see, you can't really argue Scripture. Scripture is Scripture. What God says is what God says. But it's just another thought I thought I'd throw out. And Moses, he found he'd abandoned that long ago. See, there, there always is this attitude that there's a principle that somehow can negate God's choice. But in the end, God's man and God's choice is the only one who's ever going to get the job done. You need someone who's truly full of the Holy Ghost. You need someone with the right spirit. What you can't do with is someone coming along appointed by man. What has happened in the church today, all over the world, is people, they've looked for a leader, but the anointing of God's not there. The anointing of God is the essential thing. Without that, um, that's why at Pentecost, God said, you've got to receive the Holy Spirit. You, you can't be a witness of me until you're endued with power from on high. The whole thing is always to do with power, to do with anointing, to do with God's leading. And leadership does not come by selection of man. Leadership comes by anointing of God. And what has happened is we haven't got a true church anymore. We've got a false church. We've got people who are appointed to leadership, to eldership. Uh, in Timothy it talks about a deacon. Before a deacon should be appointed, he needs to be proved. It's interesting that in the children of Israel, you were fit enough to go to war when you were 20. But you weren't fit enough to enter the priesthood and the service of the tabernacle till you were 30. They limited the time. God said no. And when they numbered the children of Israel, they never numbered the Levites and their families. It was always different. They were different. And they were given as a gift to Aaron as the priesthood. Uh, and Aaron gave them back to the Lord. But they were the chosen of God. But God said, 30 years old. That's it. No one under 30. Now I think um, the reason for that is you need to be proved. In Timothy, they wrote about it. You've got to prove someone. How can you prove someone who's a kid? You can't. So a man needs to be mature, needs to be trusted, needs to be proved in life before God will anoint him. Because God's smart. Man isn't. Man likes to uh, get youth involved. God doesn't. Now you can go out and fight the battle, all right. You can fight the enemies, but you sure can't go into ministry and the priesthood till you're 30.
Just an interesting thing. Now God, when he chose people, he said, look, here, you don't, you don't let anyone come into the church unless they're anointed, and then, even if they're going to be deacons, prove them first. Find out whether they've got the goods. If they haven't got the goods, no way. It's not education a man needs, it's God's anointing, God's spirit, God's power. Because in the end, that's the only thing that will stand. And Saul, hey, the Spirit of God stirred him up. And what he did, he did in God's anointing. So don't always look at Saul from the reverse point of view. Okay, he made shipwreck further down the road. But God gave him opportunity. He said, hey, there's certain conditions, you know, fulfill those and everything's going to be fine. We've always look and we find the fault and say well but I tell you this there are a lot of people and God will remember the good he always will God will remember what a man does right he's not so interested in what a man does wrong humanity wants to remember what a man does wrong and forget what he's done right that's the human heart isn't it they want to pick the faults God picks what's good. Doesn't mean that he doesn't see the rest, but he's always on our side. He's more interested in the Peter who didn't make the mistakes than the Peter that denied him thrice. Okay, he puts it there, but then he shows, okay, he made a mess of it, but hey, he sure picked him up and used him. And I think it bodes well for everyone when you look at scripture to read the whole story if you want to study someone read his whole life don't just pick on Saul and say okay well look how he felt don't look at Nehemiah see what he did look at his attitude look at Daniel look at his attitude look at the character of the man because a man fell doesn't mean he never did anything right. That's why David, he just couldn't kill him. Even though Saul was troubled with an evil spirit, took the odd javelin and threw it at him, and David was quick enough to dodge, uh, and then he could play and the spirit of um, God would come and the evil spirit would depart from him when David played. But notice this, that David never took advantage because he knew what Saul had done. He understood the call of God and the anointing of God. It's very dangerous when you don't see that. There are a lot of people who kind of throw javelins um, and they d they're not mature enough to see. I find um, that a lot of young men, they seem to pick on the fault and blow it out of all proportion. But watch out, if they've got a real gift from God, you're in trouble. Don't touch it. Now, it doesn't mean that you become blind and accept everything. Hmm? If everyone got everything right, we'd all be perfect, wouldn't we? Hmm? as it is, there's only you left.
it's wise to look at the whole picture not look you see with Saul you can look at part of his life and say well Saul's life was this and then you forget what good he did hey there's some people in Jabez who were real grateful to Saul weren't they hmm? they didn't end up as one-eyed servants hmm? and the Amorites paid for it didn't they God made sure of it there weren't two of them left together boy he went in there and he wiped them out so he did some good things and maybe sometimes it's good to look at the good things someone does now I know I can I can look at Saul and say well you know he treated David abominably he disobeyed God he took the cattle when he should have slaughtered everything he, he did a lot of things wrong but he didn't start out that way he started out right and that was what David saw and acknowledged when he was in the cave David acknowledged his anointing his calling and it's a smart thing to do very smart a very very foolish to become a judge and jury very foolish to get in the seat of the scornful very foolish to think you know when you don't okay were things right or wrong yeah guess things were wrong uh, Saul made a right hash of it but not all the time okay God doesn't make mistakes ever and um, when God does things God does them and sometimes it's a mystery to figure it all out I see people who seem to have gifts and are moved and I don't believe in the gift I see other people who have a real gift but it's a strange gift who can fathom it out I can't but then God's God isn't he and he kind of controls everything doesn't he hmm? let God be God and you know I, I'm, I'm happy I think it's good when God does things in a strange way He's, sometimes the gift is so odd that you think well why on earth would he give someone a gift like that it does and you think well and it functions in a totally odd way and you think that's odd tell someone to go and who's leprous you know and got leprosy and running sores tell them to go and wash in Jordan a filthy old river not once but seven times I mean fancy telling people that then uh, all sorts of odd things imagine Jesus there's a guy who's blind and he goes and sticks mud in his eye after he spat on it I mean if that's going to help sight as he created new eyes um, Jesus did things sometimes an odd way lots of miracles that happened were odd 
when you think about it. God is never conventional. You have to watch out. Because he'll often catch you out with his lack of convention. Just an odd thought to throw out there. And if you can pick it up, pick it up. But I looked at it and I, I was thinking how many people I've known through the ages uh, who've come uh, and you know I thought of Dima Shakaran and what happened to him at the end of his life. Dear old Demas was the sweetest man you could ever meet. Demas and Rosie led me to the Lord and um, and what happened at the end? And a lot of people could be say well there you are at the end this happened or that happened but he accomplished an awful lot in his life and he didn't go wrong at the end people wronged him okay he had a stroke things happen uh, but God is God and we need to be careful you youngsters don't ever get smart because you know little it takes a long time to learn and the older you get the less you know and uh, just is the way it is and God never is figured out I, I mean I, I, the more I go on the more I figure out that God can't be figured out and the more I go on, the more I understand that God will do it His way and His way isn't my way and His thought isn't my thought and I can't figure out anything and, and I think God's good. I just found it fascinating. It really stirred me up when I thought of Saul. Oh goodness me, strange. And then you've got to think, well, why would God have anointed him king if it wasn't for a purpose? And if he only saved one city and all the men of that city, he did a good thing. And he united everyone. All right? So when you hear the other side, remember the right side too. And try and look at the good side. Maybe there is 30% that's way off the wall, or 40%. But what about the 60% that isn't? Could do you good. Hmm? What I do know is this. God called us to be a little more broad-minded than and narrow little doctrines, didn't he? Hmm? And maybe he's figured it out better than we have. Uh, does it mean I, I abandon biblical truth? Never. Does it mean I don't believe it exactly in the gospel? Of course not. One thing I do though, I, uh, if people believe the fundamentals of the gospel, I'm one with them. That's it and um, I'll let God figure out where they all come. If they go against it and they deny Christ and they deny salvation or they go into rituals 
and it becomes wrong, then, then I'd have a real complaint. Until then, I won't figure it all out. So, have a generous heart and a generous spirit. Read that about Saul. He did a good job for a time. Okay, he went wrong. Remember the good he did. Okay? Um, lift your hands to heaven. Father, I thank you. You always hear us. Lord, in your mercy and your grace, just reach out your hand and touch them, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.